We are going to continue our discussion with our friend Nathan Riddy of Concordia Theological St. Paul on Peter Scare's article in the latest CTQ, Reckon Among the Lawless. And our essential aim here is to help you evangelicals who are coming out of evangelicalism and you Lutherans as well, uh, not to jump out of the frying pan into the fire. This is Matthew Garnett. Welcome to In Layman's Terms. This is the quote from that book that stood out to me the most. He said, uh, Ferdy argues that theology which concerns itself with propositions or with things as they are in their essence is a theology of glory or a theology about the cross rather than a theology of the cross. So Cooper's pointing out here how Ferdy doesn't like proposition. So, like I say here, uh, there are many versions of dangerous uh, Christianity afoot in the United States, and we definitely want to steer you away from those dangers, uh, but we also don't want to steer you again. Like I said, in the, at the outset, we don't want to take you from the frying pan into the fire. So, um, what uh, my buddy Nathan and I are talking about here is, is how to avoid, uh, you know, there, there's a version of popular whatever it is you want to name and there's a version of pop lutheranism that's out there that looks very attractive it offers the gospel to uh to evangelicals who really all i've heard their whole life is law and so when you hear that sort of thing it sounds very attractive very biblical uh they they're uh lutherans tend to be very clever intelligent uh folks uh from just from soup to nuts and they can really sell this thing and uh, what you find out at the end of the day is really what you're just, uh, as Luther put it, you're just kind of falling off the other side of the ditch. You've gone from being uh, somebody who all you hear about is law all day long uh, and you feel like you're earning your salvation or whatever the case may be. And then you swing to the other side of the pendulum and all you hear about is, oh, it's all grace. You don't have to worry about any law. You don't have to worry about disciplining yourself in obedience to the commands of the Holy Scripture. You don't have to worry about being a better man, better husband, better father. None of that stuff is uh, what Christianity is about. It's all, you know, uh, this one way love as, you know, this one wacko pastor used to put it that I used to follow very, very closely. It's very it's a very easy trap to fall into. And I think Scare does a very good job of addressing that. And that's what uh, that's what Nathan and I are discussing this week, like I say, he's going to be a regular fixture around here, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but before we get to the, the interview with Nathan, let me remind you to go to LamanStermsRadio.org and donate to our Men of Steel project. Our plan is to start a truck driving school for former inmates and turn that truck driving school into a profitable organization, but we need some professional help and more ways than one. In this case, um, just to get us uh, pointed in the right direction, uh, get our ID in the hands of the right people uh, that can uh, that can provide the, the the kind of venture capital we need. But in order to do that, we've got to hire this individual, and that's going to cost a few thousand dollars, which um, unfortunately I just can't lay out at a moment's notice. Uh, but you all can. Uh, we can chip away at this, and uh, we've got about a third of it raised. So we just need to raise the other two thirds, and and we've got it covered. So. 
Uh, please donate to that. I would like to at least get this analysis uh, uh, done by this professional, uh, this business plan uh, put together that we can put in front of folks who do this kind of venture capital work. There's lots of them out there. We're very hopeful uh, that, that, that this will be something that will be interesting and, and ultimately successful and uh, will we'll reach uh, people with, with the love of Christ in a very, very practical way. You can check out all the details. I have uh, many, many uh, um, details there on laymanstermsradio.org, including the, the person we're thinking about hiring to create this business plan and so on and so forth. So please go donate to the Men of Steel project. And uh, we thank you for doing that. Okay, let's get on with our interview with Nathan Rennie from Concordia St. Paul on uh, uh, Dr. Peter Scare's uh, piece in the latest CTQ called Reckoned Among the Wallace. Here we go. should love God's law, but instead these theologians have made a career out of, out of completely downplaying God's law. You yeah, know, they, uh, they have. It, let me, let me read you another interesting quote. This is from uh, pastor Jordan Cooper's book, Lex Eterna. And yeah. this is the, this is the quote from that book that stood out to me the most. He said, uh, Ferdy argues that theology, which concerns itself with propositions or with things as they are in their essence is a theology of glory or a theology about the cross rather than a theology of the cross. So Cooper's pointing out here how Ferdy doesn't like propositions. He doesn't like the way that things are in their essence. And this is really interesting, uh, I think, especially based on all of our past conversations too, right, Matt? Yeah. Uh, because this gets to the whole issue of like essentialism. And, yeah. and let's... Let me just briefly talk about Pastor Cooper's new book, which um, which I'm reading right now. Um, so it's called Prolegomena, A Defense of the Scholastic Method. And I'm not going to say uh, that I'm going to endorse absolutely everything in the book. John Hoyam from 1517 wrote a rather scathing review of the book, actually, uh, mm -hmm. which is interesting. But Cooper really does kind of talk about how um, – with the early Lutherans, they really do continue in the train of the early church, which did to some degree uh, utilize Plato and Aristotle, and that the Lutherans were willing to use some of those same philosophical categories when they talked about things like free will and original sin. And so, I mean, and he's right in all that, and he's right. Now, Cooper makes a really strong case that maybe Plato and Aristotle should be more embedded in our theology today uh, than it is, and that's what Ho Hoyam is pushing back against that. And uh, But, but the, the fact of the matter is, is that Cooper is essentially right. And what bothers me um, is that, like, the burden of proof is being put on him right. as opposed to on the radical Lutherans. Because in the 16th century, 
clearly, uh, you know, they were concerned about like these essences uh, and an essence is basically like something. What what is something? What is it? Right. <laughs> you know, and yeah. this, of course, leads into all kinds of, you know, propositions and questions. You know, Luther, what does this mean uh, in the German? It's actually what is this? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so Luther yeah. is all about essences too, or propositions, sure. and talking yeah. about what the things are and what the things of theology are. And Ferdy says all of this is just a theology about the cross instead of a theology of the cross. And he's all about like how no first order discourse and second order discourse. First order discourse is when you know God says I forgive you, and that's a different kind of discourse than talking about something. Uh, it's like, okay, he's got some points there and Paulson's got some points there. Oswald Byers got some points there, but the fact of the matter is, is that, um, you know, there, there needs to be room in our theology to have stable things, uh, stable concepts, uh, there better be. things because, <laughs> yeah. because God himself is eternal. God yes. is permanent. His character doesn't change. And yes, this world is passing away. There's no doubt about it. But we Christians are not dar radical Darwinists. We're not radical Hegelians. We don't believe that the structures that, you know, the creatures that God made are changing into new things all the time and human beings are evolving and, you know, hey, who knows what's going to happen when AI comes on the scene and we can do this and that. And, and our morality is changing. You know, we're progressing. It's like we don't believe that. But the world does believe that. The world does believe that. So it's really clear why uh, kind of going back to the the basic sources, the, the, fount, uh, the fountains, you know, um, you know, back to Ad Fontes is what they said during the Reformation time and the Renaissance, you know, going back to these original sources, um, you know, where in the classical world, uh, Plato and Aristotle were, were very much in the atmosphere and they're kind of in the Stoics. And so they basically did have these ideas of permanent things, permanent. You know, the world is not like always evolving and progressing and changing. That's that's a story that we tell today that is really only made possible because of the gospel, <laughs> because we really are able to see like, you know, substantial uh, changes in societies that are good um, because of the power of the gospel, because sure. we know that because God gives us freedom and we're not subject to fate and destiny. And uh, it, it's not like we're like in India today, like if you're in, in the caste system, you know, where you're just cursed to be in the bottom rung. It's like Christianity over does overturn all of that. Yeah. But but the, but there's also this sense in which, like, no, male and female are a thing, and they've always been a thing. And fathers mm -hmm. and mothers and tears and joy and dancing and singing, they've always mm -hmm. been a thing. Yep. And, 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 and throughout history, <clears throat> uh, variations on the themes have occurred, but those things have have been permanent and they've been stable and God has worked among that uh, or works among his creation uh, for that. So I think that uh, the radical Lutherans are just, uh, I, I, where, what does, what does scare say in here? He just talks about, um, I think it's like in the last couple pages of the article where he mm -hmm. talks about how they're basically subject. They're basically subject to the culture. 
and they're not able to uh, they're not able to inf- they're not going to be able to uh, rightly preach the word of God because of it. Right. Go ahead, talk for a while. Right. I'll right. find that well, quote. Well, uh, yeah, fi- yeah, find that quote for sure. Um, well, so so this whole that's the thing is people and and I, I'm susceptible to this. You, we we tend to go to extremes, right? So either you buy into the philosophical notion of essentialism or you don't. That's that's incorrect. That's that's uh, that's that's a non sequitur. It does it doesn't follow. So in other words, um, you're a white guy, but but I would not essentialize philosophically your whiteness. That doesn't define who you are as Nathan Rennie, all right? But you are a man. That's true. That is, yes. That. That essentializes. That is as an essential quality, right? So right. this this is this is the problem in the social justice warrior thing. See, this is where this is where I think Thaddeus Russell gets off the off the beaten path, because yeah. he's like, because he's you know he he's kind of like, well, you know, postmoderns you know postmoderns don't essentialize anything. Well, that's absolutely true, uh, but you see these social justice warriors essentializing whatever, and what Russell doesn't get is that. Um, uh, the the postmodern ethos is is one that uh, that is about subversion. They, you know that that so that's a whole other subject. That debate, by the way, is very very good. Um, Rectumwald, where where Rectumwald falls down in that debate is he's a Catholic. He should have brought in his faith. This is what I'm trying to teach my daughter right now. Is like look it, um, you you have got to get to to bare bones. You got to get down to your faith. You got to start talking about God. Like, yeah, but what if people don't don't believe God? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say the whole thing with essentialism is like if you throw out those essences which are permanent and which, as best we can tell from all our historical records, have always been there. Um, but yeah, I know, I know, Darwinism, Darwinism, or whatever. <laughs> throw out Darwin, okay? Go with the historical records that we have. Go with those concrete things. If you throw out essentialism which you can clearly see is present throughout human history, you're just going to create new essentialisms, which, yeah. is what's hap- which is what's happening here, where all of a sudden race becomes, as they say, um, uh, essentialized, or what's the word, they, or reified, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah. so they're complaining about that. It's like, yeah. well, yeah, that's because we're throwing out the permanent, we're throwing out the God's creation, God's yeah. creation, which... It is a permanent thing in, in, in a beautiful way. I mean, it's like we've been given the joy of knowing all these things in the creation uh, that on our best days, even the pagan's heart is filled with joy, as Paul says in um, uh, Acts chapter 14. And that's a gift from God. So, I mean, but yeah, you throw out the, those things, those beautiful essences, and then all of a sudden you essentialize everything else. And then you see everything through the lens of race. And so, I mean... In a sense, you all be, you become a racist. Whether you want to see other people as inferior or other groups as inferior or not, you're going to end up doing it in practice because everything that you're doing is seen through the lens of race all of a sudden instead yeah. of the lens of the categories that, that God has provided for us in his word and that basically people have been talking about throughout human history. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. they, they didn't essentialize race like like we have in the past 300 years. Right, oh, right. Sorry, I go mean, on. I, oh. No, no, you, no, you're making a you're, you're making a, a, a great point. Go ahead. 
I, I yeah, found that quote, by the way, too, okay, yeah. from Scare about yeah. culture. He says, radical Lutheranism is really not countercultural, but far too cultural, a way to affirm the law without taking it seriously or embracing it in the life of love and self-sacrifice, the kind of life that has meaning. Yep. Yep. Spot on. Yeah, that was a great quote. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and you're making a great point about, about essentialism. If, if we don't, if we don't recognize what's essential, what really is essential, like man and woman, um, we don't recognize the categories that are set forth by God's voice and Holy scripture. See, that's the thing is at the end of the day, you, you have to account for how you know that. How do you know that man and woman is essential? That's where Recton, again, that's where Rectonwall falls down in that debate. He can't account for how he knows that man and woman are essential categories. Where does he get that? I agree. He gets that from Holy Scripture. Because, I'm sorry, you you have got to have the brass cojones to stand up and say, because God said so. Then you have to be able to defend that as well. Now, what you're saying is, is, is that if you don't have that, what we've done is we've We've inverted essentialism to make non-essential things like race an essential feature. Uh, non-essential things like sexuality, quote unquote, a central feature. Yeah, right. go ahead. Now, I was going to say that I, I think that <clears throat> I think that not only scripture, but I think natural law can do that as well, Matthew. Sure. But I think that we're kind of at a stage in human history because of Darwin, because of Hegel, where that becomes where you're fighting against those you're fighting against <clears throat> those philosophical thought systems as well. Right. And so when people have those thought systems foremost in their mind, whether it's explicitly or implicitly, they are suppressing the truth. They're suppressing the truth and righteousness that God gives all men, natural law, Romans yep. 1. Yep. They're suppressing yep. the knowledge that they have. And yep. they're all of a sudden not knowing, right? Because they're right. suppressing it because they've got all these other things in mind. And why are they attracted to those other philosophical systems? Well, ultimately, because it lets them do what they want to do. Foucault. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially, well, and that's that's the thing, you know, when, when it gets down to brass tacks, you talk about, you know, the, the, the flight towards secularism and that sort of thing. <clears throat> and, and all that follows that, uh, you know, the, the sexual revolution. I mean, that that's the thing is, um, in, in our country, uh, people people want to wantonly break the sixth commandment. Period. End of story. That's that's their that's their number one desire. Um, the reason they don't want to believe in God is not because there's not sufficient proof for God. There's not wonderful arguments for it. We you know not that we can't argue the resurrection, all that stuff, and all that stuff's valuable, and so on and so forth. They don't want to believe in God because they want to. They, they want to wantonly break the sixth commandment. That's a thing. That's a big thing. I think that's a thing. And what, what is it about the sixth commandment? I don't know. Well, thank God it's not the fifth commandment. I mean, there's a fifth commandment's there too, but I think that, that, I mean, so you take something like Stalin. I think the reason Stalin denied God is because he wanted to break the fifth commandment more than anything. Uh, but I think in the, in our Western culture, and I think even in Greek culture, I think what brought down Roman culture was this this desire to uh, to violate the sixth commandment? I mean, this is this is uh, uh, you know this is uh, um, you know this is postmodernism par excellence. This is that's what they, adultery. That's adultery, by the way, for any listeners. Yeah. Who, all right. 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 Yeah. Uh, seventh, seventh commandment for you evangelicals. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Uh, you know th- this is uh, um, 
you know, this this is what the postmodernists went for. Uh, was let's let's start breaking all norms, starting with the sexual norms. Right. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. And so you see now, and so what radical Lutherans do here, and I'm just I'm quoting myself from a blog post I wrote. I was reviewing some stuff this morning. I said, for the radical Lutheran, the name of the game is not the law's intrinsic and spiritual goodness, or like it's essential goodness, right? But it's relatively good, relatively good, order-keeping coerciveness. <laughs> so, so that's kind of the way that the radical Lutheran seems to treat the law. You know, it's not something that is in line with God's character. It's not something that's in line with the creation that he made that's in line with his character. Um, instead, it's just this temporary thing that's kind of nasty. That's really not, I mean, it's really not a good, I mean, it's good. Yeah, sure, it's good. But it's good in a relative sense. It's right. good in that it kind of keeps us from the worst outbreaks of of chaos. And, um, you know, and it's, it, and that's what's and that's what's kind of good about it, but it's a temporary thing, and uh, ultimately, uh, Christ is the end of the law. So there you go. And what you have there is just like the the scare quote that we just talked about, um, the Peter scare quote, not scare yeah. quote, S C A R E, um, but the whole thing about it not really being countercultural. And uh, I think he goes on. What else does he say after that? He says, um, yeah, well, that's it. It means that our lives have meaning. Okay, the law actually means our lives have meaning, deep theological and Christological meaning. It may be good to know that Christ saved us, but for what? And that's how he ends it. Yeah. And, right. um, did, you know, I want to make sure we get to some of those other quotes. Uh, can I just yeah. quote, let me quote Scare saying one more thing here. Um okay. Yeah, I'll just do this, right? I'll just do this quote. The Christian life and what is called the third use of the law matters. By our advocacy for the unborn and for the truth of marriage, we confess that Christ became one for us or one of us in the womb of Mary and that he has come to be the church's bridegroom. When we are silent about abortion and earthly marriage, we deny the heavenly realities. We deny the very gospel itself. Speak of the Christian life this way and be prepared to be told that you are placing yourself again under an oppressive law or what you are or that you are falling into moralism. Liberal atonement theology, in whatever form it may come into our circles, offers an out. Whatever the law may say is easily brushed aside so that we may set our eyes on the way of the gospel. He's right on. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, that's right. Um, <coughs> it's all about it's all about not having a spine, basically. Um, and yeah. you know, people don't have spines for a variety of reasons. Um, sometimes uh, the situation that you're in, uh, you know, you don't want to undermine or make your superiors look bad. Uh, you know, there'll be consequences for you if you do. Um, they're in certain social situations, uh, you know, hierarchical situations at their work or whatever. Um, you know, they got to feed their kids. We all make little, we all make compromises here or there. Um, it's true. We pick up, we pick our battles as we say, but if you don't stay on top of this, if you don't stay on top of this and proclaim God's law and gospel and its truth and purity, if you don't proclaim the whole counsel of God, 
you know, you're in the wrong business. Yeah. I mean, sorry. Well, uh, and, 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 and <laughs> right. Well, and here, here's the thing is that, you know, so, so you take Walter. I, so, I mean, I've read, I've read the, you know, I've read Walter many times through. Fortunately, they've got that on audio, by the way, if, you, if you're, you know, they've got that, they've got the, the, the proper distinction between law and gospel on audio. It's great. Listen through it. Try to listen through it like once a year or so. Um, the whole thing. Um, I think Walter would look at our society and culture and would say, there are, if, if I could find a handful of men who uh, were ready to hear the gospel, I'd be shocked. Hmm. Because, yeah, you just, they, I mean, that's, that's the thing is, I, I, these anti, these anti, these radicals, these antinomies that you say, no, our, you know what, what we need, you know, again, the, you know, and I was the biggest fan of Tolian to bitch him for a while. That's because God had broken me down with my sin and I was ready to hear the gospel. I believe. God had prepared me for that. The Holy Spirit had. And so to hear Chavichin bring the gospel is like, yes, okay. But uh, I don't think the overwhelming majority of, of our country or our culture is ready to hear the gospel. They need more law, way more law. Right. And, and, and let me come back at you, right back at you with that. So I was talking yeah. about Romans 1, natural law, suppression of the truth, suppression of our knowledge. That's exactly what Paul calls it. He says he got knowledge, um, but we suppress it. And so this comes along with the whole idea of something else the radical Lutherans will never talk about. And that has to do with the searing of the conscience. And that has to do with the killing, the basically killing the conscience. There's all kinds of ways that Luther goes into detail um, about how this happens. Uh, I mean, Roman Catholic theologians like, uh, I think, is it Jay, Jay Budashevsky, who wrote mm -hmm. the book, What We Can't Not Know. I heard him on Issues Etc. years ago talking about this stuff. And that's really kind of the first time I'd heard about, like, the searing of the conscience or anything. Yeah. But if you actually go back into Luther, you know, Luther will talk about how our consciences can be poorly formed. And that's yeah. exactly what has happened in our society is they're the ones who are catechizing us. They're the ones through the variety of different, uh, you know, media, uh, shows, movies, uh, all of these things. That's catechizing us, and that is forming us and shaping us. And it is um, basically uh, messing things up with our consciences. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, and, and – yeah, that's and that's that's a huge problem because, you know, once once you've got, you know, and I mean, you hear the Lutheran confessions talk about a bad conscience. But it, uh, but I, and I think obviously a couple of things are going on there. Yeah, you have a, a conscience that says God's wrath is against me and I deserve death and hell. That's a bad conscience um, that you need the gospel for uh, to remedy. Uh but, but I also think that confessions uh, speak of the kind of conscience you're talking about, which is a conscience that no longer can – that has, that has so, so been damaged and, and uh, you know, that, that it's um, – it, it, you know, it becomes very, very – repentance becomes – you know, even when God is trying to grant repentance, you know, is 
uh, it's it's hard to break through. Uh, you know the the seared conscience, and that's you know and that's not good. And that's you know again you know, you, you talk about this you know this whole uh, breaking of the sixth commandment thing. You know normalizing these aberrant sexual behaviors. You know normalizing uh, you know sexual mutilation, uh, a la transgenderism. You know no- normalizing uh, sodomy, uh, a la homosexuality. Uh, you know these these aberrant behaviors that are that are that are uh, you know obvious that they are they are damaging to these to these humans being just physically forget about psychologically mentally everything else but trying to normalize these things you know it's like it's like the whole thing of uh, you know alcoholics you know they 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 like to have other you know, alcoholics like to have other people around them drinking you know because it makes them feel okay about their their alcoholism and that's exactly what's going on. With these people who who insist on on violating the sixth commandment in any way they possibly can, mm. um, and again, and and I, you know, um, uh, you know, Thaddeus Russell can say whatever he wants about Michel Foucault, but I'm I'm convinced he's he's one of the instigators of all this. He's the one who said, "I'm going to go violate all the sexual norms," and what and, and he did, and what happened to him? He died of AIDS. He destroyed himself arguably maybe one of the greatest minds ever to live in human history because he couldn't get his mind around the fact that God has had God in and of himself said, this is how I created you to be. And he said, Nope, I'm going to reject that. And I'm going to go do everything else, but that and see how it goes. Now he's dead. All right. Um, you know, how, uh, Again, you know, all, all these people mutilating these, so these, these teenagers, uh, especially these teenage girls who are, you know, who may have completely impaired their ability to have children for life because, oh, they, you know, they're transsexual or whatever. Or these boys who have mutilated themselves permanently as teenagers, whatever. You know, t- how, in what world is this good? Right. Right. And, you know, this is the thing. I mean, all of God's commands are good. And as it says in First John, uh, and as Peter Scare quotes, uh, the commands of the Lord are not burdensome. And we might think, as Lutherans sometimes, we might think that that passage doesn't belong in the Bible. Because, of course, the law always accuses us, because we always remain sinners. But that's not the way the Apostle John talks. And, um, I mean... It's not that that's not true, what Lutherans say, because we do always retain an old Adam uh, until until either Christ comes back or we die. Um, but we also have a new we're also a new creation and we love God's law and God's law is good. And I think maybe um, I think all of us are challenged with that. I mean, all of us need to continue hearing the law of God and we need to hear it preached well. And we need to hear it preached persuasively, and we need to hear it. Uh, we need to we need to hear about why it's so good, and see pictures painted for us about why it's so good, and hear stories about people who follow God's law and and show us that it's good. And we need more creativity on all all this stuff, frankly, um, because like yeah, someone like Ferdy, okay, he might have talked about how we're so we're we're rotten, you know, and we're really bad, and and. And for some people who've just always been focused in their lives on maybe external conformity, um, something like Ferdy's message, I think, could be pretty appealing. But then also you might forget 
that just yeah there are certain there are certain things we could say or there are certain things that we could do uh, that we really shouldn't be doing i mean we shouldn't be we shouldn't be swearing you know we we shouldn't be using coarse language and foul language that's something that we all a lot of us i mean have have a struggle with and sure. we kind of grew up in environments where that was just normal and even amongst you know many lutherans Maybe that's just normal. You just kind of talk that way, and uh, Some more than but, <laughs> but but God's word says God's word says not to do that. And I mean, and we should take all that seriously too, and and, and maybe not dig too deeply into like, well, why is that wrong? It's like, well, because I mean, just God. Well, maybe what God tells yeah. us is, is for our good, and we just need to trust. Sometimes we just need yep. to trust. We need to trust. Um, you know, when it comes to. Uh, treating our servants well, you know, Paul talks about that. We'll get into that topic again. Um, or, you know, just whole idea of, uh, you know, taking care of people uh, that are under your charge and making sure they have enough to meet their needs. I mean, all of this stuff is important. And, and maybe we all have issues with kind of suppressing the truth about what we know about God's law. And that's why we need we need to constantly be confronted uh, yeah. by, by our preachers, uh, and hopefully they can do a good job of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. A hundred percent. And, you know, and, and yeah, and that's the thing is, and this is something I struggle with because I'm always, I'm always trying to look behind, you know, the commands of, of scripture and say, well, why, why, why does God, why did God command us not to do that? Me too. But, um, that, that's, that's where, that's one thing I think is, is a very serious part of conversion to say, to, to approach scripture and, and and question it in such a way to say, well, if I can't understand why God commanded not to do this, then I'm just going to throw it out. Instead, and then and then to be converted to say, well, God commanded this. I don't understand why He commanded this. It doesn't make any sense to me. But uh, I'm going to trust that His word is true, and I'm going to obey it anyway. Um, and you know what? If you want to make fun of me. Uh, that's the thing is what's, what's hilarious is here, here's, here's one thing I'd love to say to an atheist like Sam Harris. I would say, let's just, let's just, for the sake of argument, pretend for a second that there is a God and that he did say something. If, okay. If you believe that there is a God and he did say something, would you not believe it no matter if you understood it or not? And the logical answer to that is yes. If you really believe there is a God. And he said something. The logical conclusion is to say, you know what? He's God. He knows more than me. He said something. So I'm going to believe it. So by just by fact that I'm just by fiat that, that I'm a theist means that if I believe this is God's word and it says this, even though I don't completely understand it, I can't explain. I can't, all, you know, give you all the practical ramifications behind this. Um, that just means I'm going to believe it. But at the same time, you know. Just again, the sixth commandment thing. So, so here's scare. Uh, again, uh, a quote I pulled out of here: "Any exhortation to help our unborn neighbor, <clears throat> to defend marriage for the sake of children, or to speak out for confused children who have who are given puberty blockers and hormone treatment, leading to disfiguring surgery, is relegated to the place of the now defunct law. In an age of lawlessness, a law, a lawless savior is appealing." Yeah, I mean that. There you go. There's, there's your. I mean, you want to, you want to talk about practicalities. All you got to do is look, look at the sixth commandment. I mean, it's, it's horrifying what these people are doing to each other. Uh, 
for the sake of their freedom, you know, so-called freedom. That's another thing. We, there's two words we don't understand as Westerners, I'm convinced, um, is love. We, I mean, even Christians don't understand what the word love means. Define love. Exodus 20, Ten Commandments, period, end of story. Maybe you could ice the cake with a 1 Corinthians 13. Fine. And they don't understand what freedom is. Because, like you were talking about, you said you were talking about, um, you know, how, how the, the law of the Lord is not burdensome. Um, uh, if you think God's law is burdensome, try living outside of it. <laughs> you want to talk about burden. You know, again, I don't, I don't think you have to experience that to, to know. Uh, but if you want to talk to somebody who's experienced in, in trying to live a lawless life, Come talk to me. I'll tell you how burdensome living a lawless life is. It's horrible. It's awful. It's more burdensome than you could ever imagine. Living under living under God's law is freedom. That's true freedom. So we need right. to start understanding those two words. Yeah, go ahead. Right. Well, even in the Old Testament, it talks about that, really. It talks about how, how good God was for giving the Israelites the law. And if you understand the context of the ancient world, you understand why he said that. Because, I mean, yeah. their law really was wonderful and superior to all the other nations. And that's exactly 100%. what God said would yep. be their reaction. It's like, they'd be like, wow, you know, these people, they have this God who cares about them enough to give them this guidance. And this guidance is incredible. You know, <laughs> basically is the impression that, that you get um, from that old Testament text. Now um, you're talking about how, I, I, just something you said made me think about this passage from Scare's article also. By the way, this article, again, is Peter Scare reckoned among the lawless. Um, he says here, describing Stephen Paulson's view, the key for Paulson is preaching, or more precisely, a word of absolution. As Paulson puts it, but that means that God really does operate outside the law, and his will is not the law. It is something else. Put simply, God freely speaks forgiveness, and therefore God is an outlaw. Paulson's description of the Christ as an outlaw seems closer to his counterfeit foe described by St. Paul. And then the lawless, lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming, 2 Thessalonians 2.8. Ooh, so. nobody likes 2 Thessalonians. That's a terrible, that's a, that's a pseudo-Pauline document. <laughs> oh, okay. Along right. with First Timothy and Second Timothy, right, 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 right. Well, you're right. So yeah, <laughs> so rare is the day when you hear a Christian quoting Second Thessalonians. But I think that is that is a book that is much needed in our day and time. Much needed. Sure. Uh, uh, no, no question about it. Um, and, and, right. well, and so, you don't want to be a fundamentalist. Come on. Right. <laughs> right. Absolutely not. Well, and that's the thing. That's what I always um, always have fun with, uh, you know, my liberal Christian friends or my left. I should say leftist Christian friends. Um, you know, I'm I, you know, I, I quote him a passage like that from, you know, especially especially uh, uh, the first chapter of Second Thessalonians, where Paul very, very rich detail describes hell and who deserves hell. That's and true. I'm like. And I'm like, uh, what, what do you guys do with that passage? Oh, well, this is this is uh, this is a false document of Paul's. It's not really scripture. Not, you know, that's that's the best they can come up with. I'm like, OK, cool. It got in there somehow. 
<laughs> well, it, and that's so interesting, too, because in this article, of course, Peter Scare talks about Gerhard Ferdy explaining away some of the passage, like, you know, the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many, and talking about at the Lord's Supper how this is my blood poured out for you for the gift forgiveness. You know, he talks about how Gerhard Ferdy excuses those passages, basically, as not being part of the original, not being Jesus' actual sayings either. And so Gerhard Ferdy is a higher critic, uh, of course. And so that is going to, uh, that should come into our, our, our calculus about, you know, how we think about him and his theology and why he's doing what he's doing. Um, Because really I, people, what it comes down to sad to say is people, people hate the word of God. People hate the gospel. Yes. That's the scandal. People also hate the law. People don't want to be told. People don't want to be told that God designed them uh, to live a specific way. And and I understand the law gets abused by people. People use the law to abuse others. Um, sure. They they use it as an excuse to oppress them or uh, you know basically yeah basically not treat them with with respect and dignity and uh, and they show disdain and contempt for them and. Right. Yeah, and life and life is really hard, and it's really horrible. But on the other hand, uh, when you do have people who know the love of Christ and who are ultimately driven by the love of Christ, and how you know God Himself or God the Father reveals who He is through the face of Jesus Christ, and when you have people who know Him and uh, love God's law, I mean, they're not going to want to do those things. They're not going to want to oppress others are going to want to care for the people that God right. has given well, them. And that's, yeah. And, that, and that's a, right. Well, and that's, that's what drives me nuts about, about this whole thing is, um, you know, so yeah, you know, I've got friends who are, uh, who are gay, homosexual. And when I talk to them about God's law, I'm trying, I'm trying to talk to them about real freedom, you know, cause I, I talk to them about their lives and their lives are, you, I mean, I have I have yet to befriend a gay person who is not living a miserable life. Um, not not only psychologically, emotionally, you know, just because there's there's just no stability in their lives. A, exactly. Uh, but but B, uh, physically, you know, they're they're uh, they're they have physical problems. All you know, just just the whole nine yards. And I say. Okay, look look at this. Take take a look at this. This is the way God designed us to live. If you step out of that and and, and receive the forgiveness of sins and repent and I mean, you're not I'm not asking you to come over and do something that's going to be horrible. I'm asking you to come over and do something that's going to be liberating for you. That it, it, it's it's like what's, what C.S. Lewis talked about. I can't remember where, where he talked about the, the gates of hell being locked from the inside. Right. I mean, I, 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 yeah, I just wonder how, how true that is because when you talk to unbelievers, they're just, they are, they are in hell. And I'm saying, I preach the gospel to you. Come, come out. Nope, I'm staying in hell. I don't want to come over there. I'm staying in hell, you know, just like, uh, okay. 
Right. Uh, it just it just doesn't make any sense. And, and well, and, and and that's what scare I think is really really driving at is, you know, what 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 do we invite? You know, of course we're inviting people to to have the forgiveness of sins, uh, for Christ's sake, in the gospel. Uh, but but part of the Christian life is is you know e- even temporally stepping out of hell <laughs> and saying I'm okay I'm done I'm done living in hell I'm gonna start living here where God God created me to live um you know you, you know here on earth and that 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 requires God's law and the other thing is um and this is something I learned from my Calvinist friends if you hate God's law you're gonna hate it in heaven. If you if you're if you're if you find God's law abrasive or something that's just you know not really that necessary, um, I think you're going to be in for uh, well yeah. I mean that's the thing is that's that's again that's all founded on a false notion of the atonement. And when you have a false notion of the atonement, then that's when I start to question. That's that's when I start to feel fear for your soul in a very very serious way. When you start to question the atonement. Uh, in, in this way. And, you know, what, what, whether, whether you're doing it publicly or whatever. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, and, and to kind of go back to, you know, some of our, your, your comment there about how if you hate law, God's law here, didn't you, did you say that you will not like it in heaven also? You won't like it in heaven also? I would, well, you wouldn't, but you probably won't be there. Right, the well, right, right, right. Yeah, of course, of course. Because, but, I mean, it just brings me to this quote again from Peter Scare. In a world of perfect love, there is no need for a court system. The first signs of God's justice appear with the dawn of sin, which changes everything. And so, I mean, I think it's important that even in Eden, before the fall, God gave commands to Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve yep. were just living naturally in accordance with the design specifications of that original creation, you know, God's right. law, um, even though the law at that time was not an oppressive or coercive force to them at all. I mean, it was something that they just naturally did. And that's what we're told um, or that, you know, when Luther talks about heaven, he talks about how that's the way it'll be for us. And then he also talks about how we'll be rejoicing at God's commands in heaven, you know, and sure. so, so, I mean, you can understand, in one sense, you can see why I think people are, are are thinking that the law couldn't, for example, be a part of heaven. Because, like, oh, because it is. It does oppress us. It does coerce us. And, you know, we're old. We're fallen people now. We're old Adam. We, we want to love ourselves and not our neighbor and not God. <laughs> we want to trust ourselves. We, yeah. You know, and so I think it's it's easy to see how fallen man can get into that trap of just thinking that like, oh, you know, the law is – there's nothing good about it. But the law is in perfect line with God's character, and it was in perfect line with our character too in the beginning of creation. And it will be again um, in the life to come. Praise right. well, be God. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's what, you know, that's what Holy Scripture means. But a lot of people don't understand, and I didn't for a long time. Um, they don't understand what it means to be made in God's image. Uh, what it means to be made in God's image is not that we look, look like him or that, you know, that's not a, none of that. What means to, what it means to be made in God's image, uh, according to Holy Scripture and our confessions, obviously, um, is, is that we have a knowledge of what God's will is. 
mm-hmm. and that we live in accordance to that. And that's where our conscience comes from, right? God's right. law is written on everybody's heart, right? This is what it means to be made in God's image. We're um, in line with his righteousness. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, yeah, and, and so, and that's that's the Mickey. Some of these antinomians want to slip in is well, the we only need the law here here in this lifetime because of the old Adam, right? We need to be coerced. We need to be beaten toward you know some of these you know what some might term as soft antinomians. I just call them antinomians. I don't think there's such a thing. Either antinomian or you're not. You can be a little pregnant. You can't be a little pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not. Um, but but that's what some of the more you know uh, some of the, some of the again the Mickey they want to slip to you is well you know um, you know they they quote that line from Luther you know the 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 you know the the righteous Christian is always busy and active doing God's law before he's even told he doesn't even need to be told to do God's law blah 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 um, yeah I don't I don't know the argument against that necessarily other than again Adam and Eve were given commands. Uh, Christ had to learn God's law as a human. Um, and so, you know, and I don't think having to discipline yourself is, is necessarily, see, that's this whole thing, this, anything that's hard, right? So the notion of having to set your alarm to get up for church on Sunday morning, that's difficult, right? We don't want to get out of bed on Sunday morning. Well, that's because the old Adam. No, it's because we're human beings. We want to sleep, da, da, da. Is, I mean, is, is it a sin to want to sleep? No, that's not a sin. I mean, would it be a sin to miss church? Sure, that would be a sin. Okay, right. but um, but who's to say that when we're on the other side of glory, there won't be? I mean, that's a that's what I'm. That's one question I do have, and I don't have any scriptural evidence for it or whatever. But I think maybe I mean, it seems like part of the essence of human nature is you know is struggle, is discipline, and you know we might you know I it, I I will be severely disappointed if I get to heaven. And there's not some hard work to do that requires some discipline. Well, well, certainly, right? certainly there will be um, there will be uh, growth. There will be um, exercising yourself uh, in certain ways, and right. and uh, and feelings of accomplishment. I'm sure will will also be a part of heaven as well. And so, yeah. I mean, you look at you look at Eden, and even though Adam and Eve weren't committing adultery, they weren't lying, they weren't killing, all that stuff, right? right. Um, God still did give them a command, right, uh, not to eat from that tree in the middle of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden. And, you know, Luther talks about how he gave them that be- command so that they could grow in their fear, meaning respect their, uh, at the time, you know, because they weren't terrified of God. Uh, they could grow in their uh, reverence, uh, fear, love and trust in God. And so that they could progress even then. So, yes. And of course, yes, we know that Jesus himself, uh, according to his human nature, uh, grew in uh, favor with God and men. And we have every impression that he was learning all the time from his parents, obviously, and the scriptures at home. And then when he's in the temple at Jerusalem. So, yeah, I mean, that's a key thing. I'm glad you brought it up because that's where. It kind of gets to the heart of the whole third of the law thing. If you look at Formula of Concord Six in the Lutheran Confessions, it does talk. It brings up how God gave them a command before the fall, and and, and the reason it does that is because that is significant. That is important, and it's important for us as Christians to basically be willing to tell other Christians what to do. As as hard as that is. 
as much as we might associate that with self-righteousness and everything else, uh, that's, that's what the third use of the law is about, really. Yep. Um, it's, not about, it's not about how I internally react to the law three different ways or something like that, you know, how the law affects me experientially. That's, that's getting, um, I mean, yes, that's, that's at play, of course. That's important. But that's not what the article about the third use of the law is about. Right, right. Well, and and so right, it's a, that's the thing is you just I, I mean all you have to do is read read Genesis one two three. Okay, they're given the command not to eat. They're given the command to be fruitful and multiply. True, yeah. They're given they were given the command to tend the garden. Yeah. You know, so there's a lot of commands. There's a lot of law going on there. You know, yeah, <laughs> uh, all that stuff. And so yeah, so the, so I don't know. Um, you know that that's the thing is you know again we I don't think we can you know, obviously can't completely conceptualize what uh, uh, the the church uh, victorious will look like, you know, um, uh, on that side of glory. Um, but I, I just don't want, I, I, I wonder if, if we'll get there and it'll be like, oh, we're, we're just going to get started here. And this is going to take an eternity to, yeah. And I mean, and, and there's no, you know, and again, there's no, you know, there's no breaking of the Ten Commandments. We're just going to grow sure. uh, toward God, and you know, and and be given the strength and power by God's grace to uh, to never break break one of the commandments. You know, and 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 that's the thing. That's that's what you know. You, you talk about hell uh, being locked from the inside. People saying, "I don't want to have anything to do with those commandments." Um, right. you know, right. and, and again, not that, not that, not that, that, you know, wanting to embrace God's law is, is your ticket to heaven. Obviously Christ in, in his person and work is, is what brings you into the family. Uh, but yeah, I just, I, and I just don't, I just don't understand. I, I mean, God's law is so beautiful. You, if you live by it, you'll have a good life. For the most part, you might be persecuted in some ways and, you know, might, but that's that's not going to be a problem. Right. Well, um, we just go back to the beginning, like when I was uh, giving you all those Luther quotes from from Mike or from Brian. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, Brian German. He's a, a theology professor at Concordia, Wisconsin, who wrote that really good article. But that's exactly what Luther said, Matt. Yeah. 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 Um, should we should we uh, wrap things up? Yeah, we should probably we should probably should because I've got a good uh, probably good two episodes. Let me throw one let me throw one more scare quote in there and and then we'll we'll wrap it here. I've got um yeah this one this one's really good. Uh, the Christian life and what often is called the third use of the law matters. By our advocacy for the unborn and for the truth of marriage, we confess the that Christ became one of us in the womb of Mary, and that hat. And that he has come to be the church's bridegroom. I think he quoted this one. When we are silent about abortion and earthly marriage, we deny uh, the the heavenly realities. We deny the very proof of the gospel itself. So yeah, you quoted that one, and I yeah, I just wanted to reiterate. Uh, yeah, I think we both homed in on that one. Um, that yeah, um, yeah. So the evangelicals give you know self help sermons, cool, on on certain things. You know, sometimes they're right. Here's here's how to have a better marriage according to St. Paul in Ephesians. Good sermon. Maybe maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe preach the gospel at the end of that. That'd be helpful. You know, 
yeah. whatever. But but that but that's you know that's biblical preaching, and just because the evangelicals do it or the Calvinists do it, you know, you, we don't we don't just look at what the evangelicals are doing or the Calvinists are doing and say, oh well, they're doing that, so let's just do the opposite. That's stupid. That's not good theology. It sure is. Um, you know, again, part part of the Christian life is is standing up for these things because I mean, yeah. So again, let let me let me end a little bit on this and I'll let you have the last word. Um, what frustrates me about organizations like 1517 Legacy, particularly Christ Old Fast, absolutely, and higher things is you you will not catch them dead talking about issues like abortion or homosexuality or trans. You, find me an article. That's what I always tell those people on certain Facebook sites that have a large Lutheran following, like we talked about before. Uh, show me an article where they talk about these issues and address them head on. They don't. You you won't find a piece. You won't find uh you won't find a sermon. You won't find anything uh on these issues. They they don't address them. And if they do it, the the one uh podcast I heard was one of Donovan Riley's podcasts from some time ago uh about abortion, and it was kind of nah. We don't, you know, that's law stuff. We don't talk about law stuff here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, abort, abortion's a law issue, so we don't we don't talk about abortion. Yeah. That's exactly what Scare's talking about. So that so if I were to give a message to any Lutheran, especially new Lutherans or whatever that are listening to this, um, don't pay so much attention to what groups like you know or speakers from 1517, Higher Things, Christ Old Fast, whoever else are saying, pay attention to what they're not saying, because they aren't addressing these issues that Scare's addressing here. And it's because they, fundamentally, they deny the atonement. If they're honest about it. Some of them are dishonest and say, no, no, we don't deny the atonement. And some of them are just plain inconsistent. Um, What's his face? I can't remember that guy's name now. From Arkansas. That started Christ Hold Fast. He does that. Can Christ. Yeah, Dan Price. Yeah, he 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 up and down. Oh yeah, I affirm penal substitutionary atonement. All while his theology completely denies it. Right. You know, well. So, yeah. But anyway, uh, go ahead. Cer- certainly, um, certainly, Gerhard Ferdy and Stephen Paulson completely denied it. And uh, Steve Paulson has a podcast on fifteen seventeen, the fifteen seventeen network, and John Hoyam at fifteen seventeen, one of the thinking fellows basically said that Steve Paulson's theology was the future. So there you go. Um, I mean, make of it what you will. Uh, The culture is telling us to go one way, and uh, we have to go the other way. Uh, Luther said that if you're proclaiming all these true things, but you're not addressing the issues that the society around you is talking about at the time, that you're being unfaithful and you're not even really preaching God's word. 